That day when I had to cut him down off the back wall of my house and breathe into him, I was like, what is this? What are you doing? How is this your life? You have children. You are actually quite a cool person. Why are you doing this stuff? Welcome to The Enrichment Project, Path to Purpose, recorded by the mad talent at Solid Gold Podcast. It is a series of unfiltered and insightful conversations with some of the most remarkable purpose-driven human beings who have all achieved, created, inspired, triumphed or challenged. And we have a great deal to learn from them. It is a quest to uncover and articulate the steps along the way to help you on your own journey of purpose. I am your host, Richard Wright, and I am delighted to have you with me Thank you for the gift of your time. Let's dive straight in. This is an extremely uh, special conversation. Uh, it's a conversation with my life partner, my business partner, the love of my life. She's a mother of three, Deborah Good. And it's a conversation that I know is going to make a massive impact. It's going to be a little bit different to a lot of the things that we've done on the Enrichment Project thus far. And conversation that's going to be vulnerable authentic in some ways i think a little hard and because of that it's going to be relatable and relevant to you and i think it's going to make a very big impact in helping a lot of people get to that amazing place where they feel more happiness more joy more purpose more meaning in their lives so i'm delighted to have debs in studio with me um debs welcome to the show thank you rich thanks so much for having me so the amazing thing, and, and here's just a shout out to you um, for being the person that has started this journey with me, Path to Purpose. You've, I think you've been almost every single one of the interviews in the studio right next to me. You've made notes. You've taken out the juicy bits to put into the intros. You, you've, you've been with me every step of this journey. And, and yet it's been a tough journey for you to follow. Can you perhaps explain that? Yeah, it's been very hard. So every single uh, podcast that we've done has been um, absolutely amazing with these people who know purpose, who have found purpose. Um, a lot of them didn't have it uh, for a long time, but they found it. And I sat, I've sat in every one of these things and I've thought, oh my gosh, what's my purpose? I don't know what my purpose is. I mean, do I even have a purpose? How do I define it? How do I figure it out? And I think a lot of people mm. have have felt the same. I've seen quite a few comments on our uh, posts saying, um, please help me, Richard, help me with my purpose. And obviously that's why we're doing this. But yeah, there are a lot of people out there who have no clue. And you feel you're one of them? For sure. Okay. Um, so, so that's valid, folks. That's really, that's big and that's valid. And that is exactly why we're doing this. And um, so there's steps that we're following through this process, and a number of them I think are going to be highlighted in this conversation with Debs. But there was a moment, so let me give you some context. Uh, Deb and I were dating for two years, long-distance relationship, myself in Johannesburg, Deborah in Port Elizabeth. For those of you who don't know, it's about 1,100 kilometers away. And um, that was quite hard. And then at the end of last year, 
Um, but well, about a year ago, for context, uh, Deborah gave all of that up. She was a very successful salesperson, uh, award winner with a company that she was with, extremely good at that, had lived her entire life in Port Elizabeth and gave all of that up to bring her youngest daughter, Rachel, up to Johannesburg to, to live with uh, myself and my two girls. And um, then we went into into lockdown, and that I think was was quite a tough and scary place. So uh, Debs, over to you. Yeah, so um, you've pretty much said it. I gave up everything that I knew and have known my whole life um, to come here and be with you. And two years long distance is one thing. Um, going into a third year and then thrown into lockdown is a whole different thing. Mm. So. Um, yeah, and it was it was it was quite tough. I mean, as you know, we had to reinvent our, our business, and that meant you had to start doing um, virtual keynotes, and I had to do the housework pretty much. That's all I did, and that uh, became my life. And um, yeah, I think I hit a very very low point when I was hanging up the washing one day, thinking, "Is this my life?" And that was really hard. And as you know, you're quite purpose-driven, and I just felt like I had no clue. And it was so it's very, very hard time. So, um, so for some more context, so Deborah uh, is the CEO of the the Enrichment Project, and that stands for the Chief Enrichment Officer. And I was super excited because now I'm going to get this super amazing salesperson to come in and sell the product. And for the first time, yay! I've got a, a promoter manager. Um, who also happens to be my partner. She's in love with me. She loves the product. Um, and Debs and I had a conversation before she even started about, you know, uh, the, the feelings of success and how successful she would be at selling the product. Debs? Yeah, well, it's a product that I, I believe in. And it's probably out of all the things I've sold in my life. Um, and you asked me this question, would you be able to sell me? I'm like, for sure, you are the product that I believe in the most. And I, and I seriously do. Unfortunately, I haven't made one sale yet, and that's not for lack of trying, Rich. <laughs> that's, um, I'm going to blame. I'm going to blame COVID, and I'm going to blame. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to blame, but um, yeah, it's anything, been tough. Anything Sorry, but me. Yeah. So, so every month yeah. we've got we have a joke, and and Deb's like, "Don't give me targets. I don't. I don't work well with that. Don't give me targets. I'm like, <laughs> just one. Just just one a month. Just please one. And and she hasn't hit the target once yet, and that's been. And you might identify with that. So here, here Deborah's left this. We both had expectations of she was going to come in and make a very tangible difference. And, you know, obviously now we, 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 we've put finances into, mm. into one basket and that means we need to sell more and, but we're not. And so there's that kind of pressure. Then COVID really ramped that up. We lost everything, every single one of our future gigs in the first three days of COVID. So sitting there with no income coming in and, pressure on Deborah to sort of prove herself and, and, and feelings of self-worth. And, you know, obviously like everybody else, we, we, well, we're extremely privileged to have a housekeeper. She came two days a, a week and um, for four months we paid her and she didn't come because um, COVID and Deborah took that on. And we got into the situation of, even if I tried to do the dishes, they would say, what are you doing? What are you doing? That's, that's my job. And I'm like, no, 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 it's a partnership. And, and, and trying so hard to prove value and, purpose and feeling very low as a result right mm, very low very low um so while you were inspiring the world i was cleaning the house and it just didn't feel like i was pulling my weight at all um and it was a very hard place for me so i did struggle quite a lot this year with feeling inadequate and 
um, what's this purpose-driven guy doing with this purposeless person? And that is literally how I felt. Mm. Yeah, which is not a way to feel, by the way. It's horrible. Okay, so we're going to leave that part there. We'll come back and revisit it. But it's very, very important that so part of this journey, obviously, is tackling identity and it's tackling your past and it's unbecoming and it's figuring out who we are, why we are, and what that is about. And, and only when we can really get to the bottom of that can we figure out how to, how to move forward and get more of that stuff, which is what, you know, that's our secret source. And Debs has, has had a very tumultuous journey. And I often say this to people when I introduce her or they ask about Deborah. So she is probably, if not the person, one of the people I admire the most for having done the hard work in dealing with the challenges and the issues of the past and of childhood. And as a result, one of the most emotionally mature together people I know. But it's been a, it's been a rough journey. And Debs, if you can start us off right at the beginning, um, when you were born, how that came about, uh, chat to us a bit about your folks. And that I think it's a good place to start. Okay, so I was born in Port Elizabeth. Um, my my mother and father got divorced when I was three. I was an only child and um, honestly thought I was an only child till I realized I wasn't, but um, I was an only child and my mother raised me the best she could. She is the most amazing woman I know. Mm. Um, and I can honestly say that uh, she is the woman I look up to the most. And she really did everything she could um, to make my childhood amazing. And so when I when I realized I need to just start doing work on myself, I had to look back at my childhood and say, well, what was wrong with it, really? And I, I really couldn't figure out what was wrong with it because I was this happy little girl. Um, and then I obviously realized, you know, at some point you were deserted. Your father just left and pursued a career in music and other women and just, you know, you were cute while you until you were three and then just that was it, gone. So yeah, just again for some context. Um, so tell us a bit about who your dad was at that time and his career, what he did. Okay, so my dad still, I mean, okay, he's, he's, I don't think he's doing anything at the moment, but he was a musician and he was a very successful musician in Port Elizabeth. He won awards. He had the most amazing voice. And he, yeah, he was a gorgeous looking man who couldn't resist the woman and the woman couldn't resist him. So he lived that proper rock star lifestyle. Mm. Um, and there's no, there's no space for children in that. And how did your mom meet him? Um, as far as I know, they worked in a, um, like a record shop together and um, she met this gorgeous Muso. guy and just fell head over heels in love with this music. She was probably a groupie like all the others. Yeah. Actually, I think she was. Um, yeah, and she was beautiful and yeah, but they fell in love. I do believe they fell in love. I do believe my dad loved my mother. And your mom fell pregnant. So my mom fell pregnant and had me. And yeah, then my dad's life just continued. He didn't, he couldn't settle. He never settled. Mm. Um, he never, ever settled. And that um, for me was something that I've had to deal with lately. And I have done the hard work, but realizing that I wasn't good enough for my father to stay was a very hard thing to accept. Okay. So dad deserted you when you three, no longer cute, um, heading, hitting the road, I'm going to pursue this career. And from my understanding, 
just a life of zero responsibility, right? That I, I, I have the best life. I can just do whatever I want pretty much and mm. don't have to accept any responsibility. Am I right in saying that? Absolutely. And I mean, I looked up to my father as this musician for years. I thought he was my hero. Um, my dad's a, a pop star, you know, and, you know, regardless of the fact that he wasn't around, that was what I focused on. Mm. He is this person, not realizing till very late in life that he was not the person that I thought he was because he he was not there for me. Mm. And um, I think I've sp spent most of my life looking for that. So that's totally understandable. And I think that's a very common thread for many people is is replacing the parent that, that wasn't there. Mm. Um, so, so he disappeared and literally hardly any contact at all. Um, but yet your mom did her very best to try and cultivate this idea of a dad who still loved you. And you know, I understand why, but at the end of the day, it probably made it a little bit harder. So so you're, tell us a little bit about the handwriting. Yeah. I dig that story. Okay, so my, my mother and father have almost identical handwriting, which is, um, which is quite, it's quite scary because my mom decided that you know, she didn't want, she, she was amazing. She didn't want me to feel that my father didn't care. And um, she would sometimes write the Christmas cards or the birthday card or whatever and um, sign it from him because she didn't want me to ever feel that he wasn't around, even though he wasn't, I wasn't able to see him. Mm. He was always thinking of me and, you know, loved me. Yeah. He would come in and out every now and then, and he would come with stuff. Like he would come with um, seven singles, these little seven singles. And I used to have piles and piles of music, and music became my escape. And it was yeah. like, wow, my dad sends me these things. My dad is so amazing. I am on top of all the music. Everybody, look at me. Look what I've got. Mm. Um, yeah, and I, I, I seriously, Richard, didn't realize mm. how badly I needed a father and wanted him to love me and wanted that love from a man. Yeah. It was, it was, I, I, I seriously didn't, didn't realize it till, till very late in life. Yeah. I, I guess also we don't, we don't want to, it's hard. We, we avoid those really, really tough conversations with ourselves. We, we deny them. We pretend they don't mm. exist. And, mm. and I think it's quite a valid thing to point out here. And, um, I love your mom to bits and she is everything you said. She's just absolutely amazing. And as parents, we do that. We compensate. And I know that we have both as parents uh, respectively done that with our own kids. We were compensated because um, divorces or because the other parent is not always there. And we, we try and make it okay and make it better. And very often we're just doing more damage because we're creating this false illusion of something that perhaps we could have accepted better, which would have helped us to deal later. Um, but that's what parenthood is, isn't it? It's just, it's trying to do the for best sure. for our kids and trying to protect them from everything and our own failures and our own, our own stuff. And sometimes it's also guilt, I think. That's okay. So, then you became a teenager and you started attending some of your dad's gigs, right? Yeah. So he, um, he actually, he moved to Port Elizabeth back to PE when my mom left to go live in Umschlange. Um, and so literally, uh, parents, I uh, had a parent swap, mm -hmm. um, but it was very different because, um, 
my father was more of a friend or I was more of a friend to him because he had never really been the dad figure, obviously. Mm. So, um, and he had a rep to protect and he, he had girls that uh, really liked him and the girls all stayed like 21. So he, mm. he aged, but the girls stayed 21. And when they reached that sort of expiry date, somebody else would come in. Yeah. Uh, and that literally is how it was. Um, so it wasn't really cool for this guy to have this daughter. daughter who is who is my age and yeah it was like he didn't want people to know sort of that he even had children or a child so he would introduce me in a club and he'd say oh there's my friend deborah at the back and I was so like, oh, he's acknowledging me. Here I am at the back. Yes, here I am, everybody. Look at me, look at me. And that was great. I loved it because I was I was being seen and announced, and but I was being announced as his friend. Mm. And then I got promoted to his sister. <laughs> then few, as the years went, it was like, and here, there's my sister at the back. I was like, oh, my sister. <laughs> And then finally, and I don't know what made him change his mind, but one day he said, oh, and there's my daughter at the back, Deborah. And I was like, oh, I'm his daughter. That's who I am. Sure. Actually, that's who I've always been. Yeah. But um, I still just loved the attention. That was all I really wanted. Yeah. And then one conversation I remember you telling me about um, when you gained a kilogram or two and, and he made quite a comment yeah, I mean, just said you're fat. Why are you so fat? Um, and I was in matric, I think, and I was a little chubby, and I was never really aware of my weight. Like it didn't really phase me. I, I loved school. I had friends. I was popular. I was, uh, you know, I just I didn't see anything wrong. And then one day I was told by my father, "Do you you're a bit fat?" Sure. Then I realized I was a bit fat. And then that created this huge weight issue, which I know most girls have been through. And this was brought on by somebody who wasn't even a part of my life. Um, somebody who never acknowledged me, now I'm fat. It was hard. And well, that sets you up, doesn't it? Um, here's this man who, who you adore. You're so desperate for his love, mm. for his acceptance. He deserted you. He lets you in from time to time. And then just this, idea of okay now i'm accepted i'm actually his daughter but i'm the fat daughter and i somehow i'm still not acceptable and i mean that that's very that's very big damage and that sets you up for a lot of really challenging stuff going forward you've made it this far probably because the topic resonated with you if you're wondering what the show is all about, listen to the trailer at the start of the season and find out how this show is going to help you along your own path to purpose. You've stumbled on a project that is all about purpose. Find out why the guests are all so vastly different, but yet all have so much in common. Hop on board this journey with me, follow the Enrichment Project so that you don't miss out on a single episode and share it with, well, everyone. We are all looking for more meaning in our lives. If the show speaks to your identity or the identity of your brand, consider sponsoring a season. Let's make the circle bigger. Back to the episode and thanks for listening. So you're 
2021. Um, what happened next, Debs? After school, I had really no clue what I wanted to do. And I, in, in hindsight, I should have taken a gap year, but I didn't. Um, so I went to varsity and I did tourism for six months. And I was like, came home, mom, listen, I really don't dig tourism. I think I want to be a hairdresser. She was like, hairdresser? Yeah, I'm going to be a hairdresser. And I went and walked into a salon and I said to the owner, I want to be a hairdresser. Please, can I come and work here? Mm. And he was like, okay, cool. Just do a blow dry. And then, um, you know, and he hired me and then was allergic to the chemicals. So a year into that, I had to find something else to do because my hands were covered in sores and they just weren't going away. Mm. So then I went and worked in a hotel. Anyway, long story short, I started dating this guy and um, it was very, very um, back and forth, break up, back together, break up, back together. Mm. And then I found out I was pregnant when we had just broken up. Um, mm. And I'd made up my mind that that was the last time. And then I thought, okay, well, now what? So get back together, I guess. And that's what I did. And I had this amazing little boy. And um, my whole life changed then and there. It was like, okay, so this is my purpose. This is my purpose. This is what I need to do. Mm. I need to look after this little boy. And you, you were how old? 21. 21. So here are all these hopes and dreams and aspirations and all of that's out of the window mm. and here your purpose is to raise this lovely little boy. Mm. Yeah, and I ended up having to do that alone for quite a long time because um, my boyfriend at the time was also going through his own stuff and he was uh, not ready to settle. And uh, I'm quite grateful that that we didn't continue our relationship because it would have would have been really a bad um home for my son to be in so um yeah but then then i was alone again and i was like okay so now what mm. I, I really need to give this child a home uh, a family um i craved that yeah. i was an only child and I, I and with just a mom and i craved siblings um i was lonely it was uh, i had cousins but i was i wanted a family so when this happened i was like right family mm. find it mm. and uh and uh i married a, a an amazing guy who was somebody that i knew quite well and um i loved him i loved his family we, we were not the right mix but it was a stable home that i thought i was going into and mm. creating for myself so you chose a stable option this this home the family the white picket fence the everything you literally had. literally Literally the white picket fence. Wow. We had an option to go watch the U2 concert or put a, put a white picket fence around our house. So we chose the picket fence <laughs> over the U2 concert. Wow. Okay. Um, and then you fell pregnant. Yeah. And then we got married and I, I honestly was, I thought I was really happy. Um, mm -hmm. uh, we, we had a, a beautiful daughter and yeah, I really, really thought that this was my family, my home, my life. But there was so much inside me that was missing mm. and so much self-hate and so much, I just couldn't understand why I wasn't happy anymore. You know, it was like I, was, I, I would go like this. It was like a roller coaster ride. And I wasn't depressed or sad or anything. I was just like, okay, so maybe this isn't the right thing for me. Mm. And it was just so easy to say, okay, um, moving on. So I ended up having an affair, which was probably 
the worst thing that I've ever done and it happened in my life and the destruction that I caused um, was just, uh, there are no words for that. Yeah. Um, as, I, as I understand it though, um, so let's go back a little bit. So marry this really stable, amazing guy who accepts your son mm. pretty much as his own. Yes. And you've got these two really amazing kids. You've got the stability, but it just, there's just something missing, right? Yeah, and completely. To the point that for a year, you went your separate ways and came back together again. Mm. So I've looked at this pattern of my life and I seem to see myself going back all the time, going mm. back to something that I knew and thought was, it might not have been great, but I know it. And mm. yeah, so that's what I did. With um, Josh's dad, I kept going back. With um, my first husband, I, you know, I went back. Mm. And it was just a plaster. It wasn't, wasn't fixing me at all. Yeah, and we do. It's, it's like you're not alone. It's a common thing. I've done that lots, and uh, we do. And I think mm. that's a, it's an inability to move out of this uncomfortable space because what are we moving to? And that is more uncomfortable than just going back to the discomfort of what we had. Sure. And so we do do that. And we can chat a little bit about overcoming that. But yeah, so there you end up making a mistake and you end up hurting a whole bunch of people. And that starts a whole roller coaster of more self-loathing and more damage to yourself and feeling less, uh, um, I would imagine, the furthest away you could be from that place where you just craved. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, but the problem is the person that I had this affair with, and it was a very short uh, affair, but we were caught and I had now realized that I, I was ruining lives. So I had to prove to everybody that I hadn't made a mistake. This affair was was the right thing and I was going to make this relationship work now. Sure. But it was the most destructive horrible relationship I could ever have imagined for myself. But for me, it was penance for my sins. So you will stick this out. You will take this beating. You will, you will fight through this and you will fix this person because now this person is, um, I, I was not going to walk away from this. Mm. So whatever I had to do, I would do. So drug addict, some really big issues. Um, you become a victim of gender-based violence. The lowest point in all of that. Can you chat to us about that? Um, so if I look, <laughs> that whole relationship was the lowest it. point. <laughs> yeah, It was like, where's the high? But that's the thing. No, no, they were lots in of highs. Sort of <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Not mine though, but yeah, lots yeah. of highs. Yeah. Um, how, how, I always used to look at people that were in abusive relationships and think, you are mad. How do you stick it out? And still people to this day was something that they say, why would she stay? Why would she stay? Mm. Um, and then when you're in it, it's like, well, you can't go anywhere. You know, this is your life. This is what you've chosen. And um, I was skinny. I was lived on my nerves. I, I just, um, I would look at him funny and he would, give me a whack. Um, I, I, but I was not prepared to, to do anything about it. I was going to stick this out. Very fortunate. My children never got to see any of that stuff. He was quite strategic as to when um, he, you know, did the stuff that he did. But 
uh, I would lie to everybody. I, I had a black eye. I told them I'd had a car accident. We literally took the tire off the car to put on the spare so that it looked like we had hit the thing so that I could protect this person who was um, destroying my life. Uh, it's so hard to even imagine that that was me now. It's like hard. That couldn't have been me, but it was. And the damage, not so much. Um, I mean, a lot of it on the outside, uh, and yeah, that you still can't hear from lots of physical damage, but it, that's not the real damage, right? It's the internal stuff. And, and I think one of the things that I used to question is that you're not a GBV activist. You're not outspoken about abuse and relationships like that. And I, I've always assumed, and maybe this is a good time to ask this question. I've always assumed that part of that is that you felt somehow that you were responsible for where you were and this was just, it was what was coming to you, which in itself is, Karma. is yeah. Karma is a bitch. Suck it up, yeah. cupcake. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. That was, that was my logic, crazy logic, but that's, that's how I, I saw it. Okay. And, and you, you somehow extricated yourself from that relationship, right? And, and moved on. Yeah, so it was a very it was hard to get out of that relationship because I was so um, he just had such a hold on me, um, and only when I created distance between the two of us did I realize that I was so relaxed when he wasn't around and so super tense when he was, and I started to see that actually you're better off without him, and it was very hard. And and then I then I, I started having a relationship with somebody that I had sort of known straight after school and also somebody very safe and somebody who going back again loved me yeah and yeah literally um safe let's yeah let's do this and to the point that i was still so trapped in this other relationship mentally i would cry for that person while i was with this person mm. um but i hadn't done any work on myself so I was never going to stop this pattern. Mm, I was just going to continue the cycle. Um, yeah. And I would keep telling myself, this is the right thing. You're doing the right thing. Everything that I did, I, I, I was adamant I was doing the right thing. And yeah, so I got married again. I had my third child. So it's, it's quite a horrible thing when I sit back and go, okay, three kids, three dads. Mm. This doesn't feel right, but it is what it is, and I wouldn't change any of it as far as the children go. Yeah, but I honestly do. I, I just always wanted this family. That was it. So, um, in between, so first husband um, found love and uh, an amazing woman and amazing relationship, and moved on and moved out of Port Elizabeth. Right. So mm. here you are yeah. back to being a single mom again for a long time mm. um, in this family and a blended family. And those are those are very hard. We know that um, they're tough. Mm. But I, I think, again, and the way I see it, and I think we're going to get to this a little later, but your own pattern of trying to protect your children and compensating for your own mistakes and failures um, and in many ways becoming your mom um, and how she was to you and protected you from things and didn't allow you to find out the truth for yourself until much later. 
And I think some of that is, is a similar pattern that's played out. Um, I'm not sure if you would agree with me. Absolutely, 100%. And it's, as parents, it's our job to make sure that we don't carry this on to our children. And that is a very hard thing to change because you literally have to say, okay, this has to stop with me. Mm. This has to stop with me. And I think my older kids <laughs> had to had to go through a lot of that with me, which I, I'm sorry for, but um, I'm grateful now that I have done that. I have done the work and said, okay, this has to stop. Mm. can't carry on in this destructive behavior. You're hurting so many people that you love. Mm. So, yeah, I ended up um, getting divorced again because I, I realized that marrying somebody is not going to make me happy. Yeah. Uh, finding stability is not going to make me happy. And you were picking the wrong people. Yeah. Yeah. Stable people that aren't rock stars. I just, I just want to go back just one second, if that's okay. So you have this cognitive, um, so a husband that isn't there all the time, um, you're not happy in this marriage. You understand that it isn't what you were hoping it was going to be, mm. but you still made a decision to have a third child. And I think that's something that a lot of people do. And I totally understand that. Our, my own relationship, you know, it was maybe this is the thing that's going to help us. Maybe this is the thing that's going to keep us together. Maybe, mm. maybe this is what's missing. Was there some of that there for you? Yeah, I think I think that that's exactly what it is for me. My children are, are what make me happy. Mm. You know, I knew that if I if I had this child, I would be I would be deliriously happy. But that wasn't going to fix my relationship. That was just me having this this family um, that I wanted so badly, mm. um, and loving mm. these children and showing them love because you know that's what we want. That's that's what I missed. But they, in the, it's so bizarre because here I am just giving them a mom and then the dad part of it, I'm, I'm taking them away from that all the time. It's like, here's a dad and come with me now. It's yeah. So, so, so again, it's those cycles, right? And, and we do we repeat the cycles until we learn the lessons. And, and your own cycle, you repeated mm -hmm. for all three of your children. And I know that your two eldest really battled with second husband in terms of not feeling like they had a father figure and not, and not the same experience as they had uh, previously. No. Um, and then their father upped and left and went to another city and then overseas, yes. right? Yeah. So did very much the same thing that in not the same way, not saying that for a second, but that your own dad did. And your response was, very similar to your own mom, is to protect them and try not to ever have them feel that they were deserted. Yeah. But, but yet in some ways they were. And I think the hard thing for us as parents is, is the more we do that, the more the kids look up to that parent who needs to answer in some ways for some of those hard things that have happened. And because we're trying to protect them, but at the same time causing other damage, we become sometimes the, the villain. Um, and yes. to a large extent, that we've done that to ourselves, right? Yeah, but I honestly did believe that I was the villain. Yeah. So um, I did the bad stuff. I did the destruction. I caused it. Mm. So um, when my older kid's dad moved, it was hard um, because he was this stable, amazing father who adored his children um, and still does to this day. Mm. But he was gone. 
And I felt, again, responsible for that. So mm. I need to compensate because I firstly left him and now he's had to go and find a, a career and he's he met an amazing woman, like you said, but he wants to forge a career and a life for them. And while my kids are still at school, obviously they have to stay with me. But I, I felt the guilt mm. and um, I was prepared to be the villain. I've always been prepared to be the villain. I think the other, the other, the other sad thing about that, and that is what we do, is we end up overcompensating, so we don't have as many of the hard conversations with our children as we should, yeah. um, and we then set them up for their own um, struggles later in life, where they realise that life is hard, and wow, you know, I've got to take some responsibility for myself, take responsibility for where I am, and moving forward, and and we prevent them or make it harder for them because of our own stuff, right? Yeah, for sure. Right, so divorced again. Yep, divorced again. And then a relationship, and we can pretty much skip through that one. Mm. But then what happened? Okay. So, um, you know, something that I've always sort of tried to teach my kids and always believe that forgiveness is key. Mm. Okay. And I did that. So I, I would mentally forgive my father for all the stuff that he had done or not, had not done and everybody else who had done any harm to me. Mm. So um, literally 15 years after my abusive relationship, that person made contact with me and um, we started hanging out. Mm. And I was adamant that he had changed. Okay, it's 15 years, we change, we, we grow, we, we whatever. And um, clearly he hadn't. And to the horror of everybody around me, you know, like, what are you doing? Um, no, we're just friends. Um, but you can't be friends with this person because he's caused so much damage in your life. He's hurt you, like physically hurt you and caused heartache. And I was like, no, but he's fine. I'm fine. We're all fine. And um, something really bad had to happen for me to have the biggest wake-up call of my life. I ended up having a relationship with this person again, and um, he ended up hanging himself in my back garden, and I found him and resuscitated him, and he's st still alive. But that day when I had to cut him down off the back wall of my house and breathe into him, I was like, what is this? What are you doing? How is this your life? You have children. You are actually quite a cool person. Why are you doing this stuff? And um, that day, it was the day before Christmas, quite a few years ago now, I decided that um, that's it. I'm not drinking anymore. I want no blurred lines in my life. Mm. Thinking that that was, that was what it was. Maybe, maybe it was because I'm overindulging in, in booze and having too much fun and not really focusing on, on what's important. And now this has happened and I can't, I can't have this anymore. This, I, ca I cannot live like this anymore. This destructive behavior has to stop. And it took that person coming back into my life, which um, in hindsight now I'm really glad that this happened because I probably would still be doing the same stuff yeah, over patterns. and over and over again, yeah. Okay. Um, and so that what ensued next is 
healing. Yeah, well, it's um, so after this happened, he he was proper blackmail. Um, you know, if you leave me, I might do this again. Do again. Or, you know, it was like it was that. So I stuck it out for six months and and said that that's it. You are on your own. I can't be looking after anybody. I need to sort myself out. My life is is falling apart. I need to fix it. So um, yeah. So three years without alcohol was amazing in the sense that I was 100% cognitive and aware of every single thing that I was doing. And I was doing things on purpose, deliberately for the right reasons. And that was amazing. And that was for you. And that was for me. I didn't want men. I didn't want a man. I didn't need a man. Now I needed to fix me. But but at the same time, you were, you I think a sense of purpose there is uh, purpose in putting myself back together, doing the healing, doing the hard work to become a better version of me, which is going to be better for my kids and better for Correct. their own stability. So, so I've listened and obviously I know the story really well and it's a hard story and it's very hard for me to even listen to it on this format. And I um, just want to take a break here and just say I really admire you for your your courage and bravery and um, strength of character and for deciding to put yourself out there, it's extremely admirable and your vulnerability and, and authenticity um, is just phenomenal. So just respect. And as much as you feel there's no purpose, right? I think there've been a lot of threads throughout that there is a purpose. And I know, and you know this too, because you've listened to all these stories, that purpose isn't this thing that we target. It's not this thing that we are aiming towards. Mm. It's it's a collection of these little things, a cumulative effect of these little things that make us feel happy, give us joy and bring some kind of meaning to our lives and make us, uh, and we're making an impact that is bigger than ourselves, right? And some sacrifices. And maybe one of those sacrifices for you was giving up alcohol for three years. Maybe one of the sacrifices was giving up men, although you, you decided you wanted to, but um, giving up everything that you had to move forward. And that, that is that is purpose in itself, um, and purpose, I don't think, is, is one of those things that it has to be this thing and it's only this thing and it's always going to be that thing for the rest of my life. I think purpose changes. It's, it's, a, it's a flux. Um, it can be many different things throughout a lifetime. So, okay, um, here we are. You've done some really hard work. You've been introspective, three years of unbecoming, um, trying to get to all that stuff. But your dad is still around. Mm. Tell us a little bit about that. So, um, yeah, I realized during this three-year process that um, I had been begging for to be seen by, by my dad. Mm. Um, and he would just keep hurting me, just keep hurting me. Um, the way I found out that I had other siblings was um, when he said to me one day in a car, um, I just had Josh. He said, you're the only child that I actually do anything for. Well, I hope you know that. And I was like, well, because I'm your only child. He's like, no, you're not. I was like, no, I am. And sure. I, I couldn't believe that that's a how he's going to tell me that I have siblings running around the world. But like proud of it. Mm. Yeah. And they're all girls and they're all cute. And, and I was like, but I'm the only girl in your life. I'm, I'm the only daughter. How can there be others? And yeah, no, low moments like that. Um, 
just stuff that he would just keep doing. And I would keep running back um, for more. And it would just be like, it was just this constant roller coaster with him until I just went one day. And I mean, um, <laughs> you actually helped me with this. So thank you for that. Um, no, I'm not going to take this anymore. Yes, you are my father, but you've never been my father and you don't deserve this much of me because it's hurting yeah. and it hurts every day. And I decided not to make contact and he just never did. So it was one of those relationships where if I didn't ever contact him, he would never contact me anyway. So yeah. I literally just stopped. So we've literally had no contact and he hasn't even tried. So I'm, I'm going to add some context here if I can. So for those of you listening, it's, um, there's been a lot. And Debs has just always been the person who tried to be the better person. Um, he had been in a relationship with somebody um, for a long time, had a child with that person and then left and then with somebody else. But the son still stays with him. And Deborah was the person picking up the pieces and speaking to the school to accept this kid back because this kid was just completely rebellious because um, not with a mom and a dad who's just not a dad. And then um, the person he was with, a son, and Deborah taking him to school and being there for him. And, and then a dad who was battling with mental faculties and having to pick up his pieces and shoplifting and picking up those pieces and, and just putting together all the time. And then Debs would go away and dad would, would look after the house and she'd come home and she'd been cleaned out. The fridge was empty. She'd stocked up the fridge and um, was batting for money anyway and came back and it was all gone. And, and items that were gone that would, there were just a roll of garbage bags and Tupperware and kitchen stuff. And when Debs said, you know, why did you take this? He said, well, you said I can just help myself to everything, anything and, and getting really angry. And, and the hardest part for me was that Debs couldn't see her position where she was and how badly she was being affected and hurt. And I, I'll never forget this day. We were driving back from the bush and we were in the car together and, I, and she was talking about her dad and how amazing he was and, and playing some music and see, the music is great. It's amazing, but your dad is not amazing. And she got so angry. Debs, you remember that? Yes, I did. I got very angry with you. Yeah. I nearly climbed out the car. It was, yeah, it's like, you don't know him. He's amazing. You were like, how is he amazing? What has he done for you? And I, I was, uh, couldn't answer. And um, how has he, has he hurt you? And I was like, yeah, a lot. And yeah, that, that drive was a very hard drive for me. And I really was angry with you. Like, how dare you dig so deep um, and take this idol of mine and, drop him like that. And then I realized that um, you were right. And yeah, it was a very low moment to realize that my father has actually not ever added value to my life. He has just hurt me over and over and over again. And I've obviously just kept going back for more. 
Uh, I think the discussion we had at that time was, was also about responsibility and saying that as a parent, our, our role is to take responsibility, to take responsibility at some point in time, to face up to the mistakes we've made, or the things that we, we have done less than. And I guess all of us as parents are going to mess up our kids in one way or another. And mm. as kids, we hold our parents responsible until that day when we take responsibility for our own stuff and we can only keep punishing our parents for so long. But it's, it's, it's a give and take and it's a two-way street. And I think it, that, that for me was the hardest part is, is this realization that here was the moment, the, these big things that your dad had done and you told him how much it hurt and, and how this was wrong. It is just, I'm, I'm your daughter and you, you literally taking my things. Um, and, and he still to this day has never taken responsibility for all of that. And, um, and I know it's a hard place for you to be in because he isn't well. And I know it's a hard place for you to be in because, um, it's tugged at you for so long. Um, <sighs> and, and I mean, even if you're saying this, I'm feeling responsible in a way and, and thinking, well, maybe that, you know, th th there's the parenting role. Do we protect our kids um, so that, that we prevent them from doing the stuff that's going to help them to move forward? Or is there, is there tough love and how do we have those conversations? So they're really tough conversations to have. And, and part of this conversation is partners and purpose. And, um, and we've spoken to a number of people who are partners in purpose and moving forward. And, and I think, Partners in life is is a choice that you make to to number one be the best person you can be for the other person, and number two to do whatever you can to try and help them in their pursuit of becoming the best person for themselves. And I guess that that is partners in purpose. So so let's move on from there, Debs. And if I can take you back to to lockdown. So here we are. To a large extent, things are pretty dead inside from your father's point of view, and. We've had a lot of conversations about that and how you would feel um, if you never had the opportunity to speak to him. You're feeling like this, you've left everything because you want to pursue this thing which is going to give you more purpose and, and, and yet you're feeling like you don't have it. So out of all of that, how do we then find purpose? So I asked you um, a while ago to, we actually were having a run and well, at this point we were walking and I said, um, you know, help me, help me find it, help me, you know, damn it. And you started asking me all these questions and um, I found them quite hard to answer. And they are those questions that you are asking, those questions that, that are purpose questions. And some of them I still can't answer. But one thing that I did realize, and my purpose over this period of time may not feel like it's been my purpose, so I, I actually need to address the fact that what we have done and what I've done with you makes me feel so happy, but at, at the same time, it's not me doing it, it's you doing it. So that's why I sort of go, but it's not me. So what am I doing that's going to make me feel like I'm living my purpose? But um, I've sort of, in the background, felt this responsibility to this to this thing that we do. And I do feel that I have played a role. I may not have made any sales and I may not have reached my target, but I do believe that I have done something. And even though I don't feel that that is, that is what my purpose is mm. um, and I haven't put my, I can't put my finger on it. I do, I do feel that I, I am getting there, but it's a slow process for me. Really slow. Okay. So, 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 there's a lot I would like to add in here. And, and I think the thing with purpose is it doesn't come from somebody telling you it's something you have to discover for yourself. Right. Um, and it is the happiness and it's the joy and the meaning. And 
a lot of the comments, the feedback that comes back and, and people that, that say things, um, you are a part of that. You are the CEO of the chief enrichment, uh, of the enrichment project. And, and a lot of what we do wouldn't happen if it wasn't for you. The stuff I'm useless at, you are brilliant at. And the valuable role that you play in helping to enrich people's lives is huge. And I get it. It's not you who is in the front. And mm -hmm. so then I have a responsibility to say, well, how can I change that a little bit? And how can I help you to have more of that stuff, which makes you feel amazing? Um, so, so there's that journey and we've got some plans there, right? Um, mm. But I think part of that for me is saying, is recognizing in the, in the midst of everything else is saying, hold on, um, I might be hanging up washing, I might be feeling less than or whatever, but what are the things that do make me feel happy? What are the things that do make me bring joy? What are the things that make me feel that I'm a part of something? And so we've discussed that we actually need to write a statement of purpose for the Enrichment Project, what we do. I mean, we both know very clearly, we know what it is, but then it's measurable. And we've got this idea of what we're doing every single day that is making a difference and that you are a very vital and integral part of that. And maybe that's going to help you listening to this in, in, in trying to figure out um, how to move forward. You don't have to aim at that thing. It's just what we do every day and recognizing those things, focusing on those things. And I think that that's really important. Mm -hmm. um, just, just to move on, and I know we've, we don't have very much time left. So Debs and I met, and uh, if you want to hear about that story, you're going to have to buy the book, um, and please do. Um, look at that. I helped you out there, the book manager, punching books for you to sell. <laughs> Shake, sorry. <laughs> So the story is there in terms of how Debs and I met, and it's such a cool story, right? But I've never been loved in the way that Deborah loves me. I've never been loved completely. Um, I had stage four brain cancer. I was in a real pit of uh, a low place, and this woman came in and loved me, and it didn't matter that I had cancer. And that was phenomenal, and part of her purpose became me. And th there's lots of purpose in the story, Um it's, I think we look in the wrong places. That's what we do. We, we expect the purpose has mm. got to be this massive thing. Big um, thing. Yeah. Outside of ourselves. And it really doesn't have to be. It's what is it that makes you feel like you've got meaning? Um, mm. Whether that's that special, significant other, that partner purpose, whatever that is. Um, and we've been through our own struggles. It's been really tough. And blended families are hard. Um, and everybody's trying to compensate for their own kids and look after their own kids and somehow move forward in the midst of all of this um, and find purpose and enrich lives and earn money. And it's, that's the mess of life. Um, but mm. out of it, and I think the final question I want to ask, Debs, is out of all of this and out of the story that is, that is your life, I believe, looking from within our situation and maybe from the outside is that you are becoming the person that you most needed in your life. And obviously impossible for you to become a father, but what is that? What is that person? What, what is the role of that person? What was missing? And, and, and I think a lot of purpose is that we become what we most needed. And I think that this journey and this project in terms of what we're doing is helping you to get there. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so um, I, I hear you ask that question all the time, and I think, okay, but what did I need? And I look back and I look at my mom, and I could never, ever say that she didn't do everything. So from a mother's perspective, she was the rock star. She was the best. But there was always that something missing. I wanted to feel 
the love and adoration of a man. So it sounds bad. It just sounds, um, I want to give love. I want to give as much love to my children, to you, um, as I can, as much as I can all the time. And I think something that you said just now just made me think. So when we think of purpose, we think of this big thing, right? Mm. And some people, when you say, what is your purpose? They want to say, my children, my partner. But they, it's like, well, that's just so like wishy-washy. It doesn't sound But it enough. can be. Mm. Exactly. But it can be. And why not? Why can't it be that? Mm. And yeah, what makes you feel happy? Exactly. And if it, that's what it is, if it's your children and if it's your partner and if it's your um, your whatever, that is that 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 can be your purpose for sure. Mm. So thank you. Um, and thank you for loving me. And thank you for creating the home that we have. And um, I see it. And you're the person that when um, we go through a tough patch, you, you always be the person who goes that one step further to try and make it all okay and sort it out so that we can move forward as a family together. And I really admire you for that. And, okay. and, and part of my struggle, and you know this, is me telling you all the time how amazing I think you are and how phenomenal you are at things and pointing out things. and Part of my struggle is you just never wanted to accept any of it. And I think like all of, we, we all are work in progress. And um, mm. so, I, you know, my commitment is, is to try and be that person who can help you to move forward all the time. And I wrote in the book that I gave you, in my book, that I want you to hold me accountable to all the things that I wrote in that book and that I'm going to be writing in the next one and to help me to be that check and the balance and help me to be the best version of me Um so I can fulfill my sense of purpose and you can do yours and that's partners and purpose. So thank you. I honor you and uh, love you. And I really appreciate what you've done here in, in telling your story, Debs. Thank you. Thank you, Richie. I love you too. A lot. Everyone. I hope that that um, is something that you can relate to on many, many levels and, um, and they can help you with your own thinking and moving forward. And just one of the episodes in a project that, um, I know it's going to make a very, very big difference and a different slant uh, and perhaps that struggle for purpose that a lot of us have. But it starts with unbecoming. It starts with going back to that stuff that's holding you back and doing the hard work in, in trying to heal from it. That's where it starts with your identity. So thank you. Till the next one. See you out there. Cheers. Thank you for staying right to the end of the episode and for joining me on the Enrichment Project. Before you go, please share this episode with your friends and your colleagues. They will thank you, I'm sure. Remember that you can catch each Path to Purpose episode by watching on YouTube or if you prefer, on your favorite podcast app. The link to my book, The Power of Purpose, is in the show notes. Please go and check it out. It's a rad account of my own story of purpose and resilience and my fight against brain cancer. I finished six full Ironman events, a number of multi-stage mountain bike races, nine Ironman 70.3 races, including the Ironman World Championships and a bunch of other endurance events, all with stage four brain cancer because I wanted it that badly and getting to the finish line meant that much to me. As a professional inspirational speaker, business and life coach, author and storyteller, I'd love to add more value to you or your organization.
Please find more details on my website, IamRichardWright.com, and book me today for a live or virtual keynote, a masterclass, workshop, or coaching session. Or please follow my journey on Facebook, I am Richard Wright, Twitter, The Right Rich, Instagram, I am Richard Wright, or on LinkedIn. I'd love the opportunity to enrich your team. Thank you to the professional crew at Solid Gold Podcasts for the support, the talent, and the mad skills. And to Anna Hick for her creativity and genius video magic. Thank you. You all rock. <laughs>